Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. We're going to be there, Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. Can I start with a confession? Can I start, can I be honest with you? I, uh, I approach this series with um, um, hesitation because I, seeking the will of God and obeying the will of God has been a struggle in my whole Christian experience. Like I, I, I've always been jealous of people who said, quote, oh, I heard from the Lord, and then they went and did it, and it was awesome? Because I don't feel like that's ever been my experience. I've thought I've heard from the Lord, and then it blows up in my face. And, and I've just struggled so much my whole life. Like, and I've, I've even, like, just even the other day, I was walking with the Lord, and I'm like, Jesus, I don't get it. Like, we've been friends for 40 years. Why can't I hear your voice more clearly by now. I don't, I don't understand it, Lord. I don't. So I admit, I, I come into this with a heart to learn and a desire to see God in a way that I haven't seen him before. Um, so have you ever had something that didn't work out the way that you thought it would work out, but it still worked out? Been there? Yeah. You know, uh, my wife and I, when we first got married, um, we thought for sure God was calling us to be missionaries to Uruguay. That was what both of us felt God was calling us to do. And, um, well, here we are. <laughs> we never, I've never been to Uruguay. Uh, but yet, I look back over the last 32 years of our marriage and ministry, and I think, well, Lord, let's see. We've been apart of helping to build a school and a church in Nicaragua, a dynamic ministry in Managua that to this day New River is partnering with. I'm proud of that work. And uh, let's see, a while ago, maybe a number of you, some of you might remember it, but for a while our church was very involved in helping to build the first Christian hospital in the Republic of Congo. We, we, we supported one of our own, fam- one of our own families went to Congo as the general contractors to build that hospital, we funded them, supported them. Like, I'm kind of proud of that. Like, we have impact in Congo. For years, we were involved in Kenya, supporting AIDS orphans. We've built a church there. We've been, you know what I mean? We've been a part of it. I think, okay, well, God, so maybe I never physically went to Uruguay, but seems like you've certainly used me around the world. So it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out, but it seems like it's working out. And I hope that you can see the same thing. My, my point is that it just, you know, sometimes it works that way. And I think we need to be open to, or flexible to letting the Lord lead. Because it doesn't always pan out exactly the way that I thought it was going to. But if I'm open to the Lord's leading, I can see his hand at work in it. Perhaps you've heard about a man in the Bible named Joseph. Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers. 
The Bible tells us that he was his father's favorite. His father's name was Jacob. And all of his brothers knew that little Joey was dad's favorite. And his brothers hated him for it. One day, his brothers hatched a plan to figure out how to get rid of their problem once and for all. So they sold him as a slave to some Amalekite slave traders. And Joseph was taken down to Egypt, auctioned off at the highest bidder, where he spent the next number of years, 15 or so years, first as a slave working for a man named Potiphar, and then he was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife of rape. He's thrown in prison. He spends the next number of years rotting away in an Egyptian prison. And then through a miraculous turn of events, miraculous, it's like one of the, rags, one of the true rags to riches stories, Joseph is catapulted almost instantaneously from prison to second in command over all of Egypt. Pharaoh has a dream about a famine. Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh says, I want you in charge of my uh, food distribution program. And next thing you know, Joseph is managing the famine relief fund for Egypt. And now years later, the famine hits, and it's hard, and it hits hard, and people are starving, and they're hungry. And guess who shows up one day? Joseph shows up to work. He goes to work. Passing out food like he did every other day. Guess who walks in his office? His brothers. The same dudes that years ago sold him into slavery are now standing in front of Joseph asking for food. This is Joseph's opportunity. Do I exact revenge on these guys? This is my chance. I mean, these guys sold me out years earlier. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. Will I have revenge on these men, or will I forgive? Well, they go back and forth a few times. I'm quickening. I'm shortening the story. You can read it all at the end of the book of Genesis. They go back and forth a few times. Lo and behold, Joseph is reunited with his brothers. He finally finds it in his heart to forgive. They're restored. He's reunited with his aging father, Jacob. They come back, and spoiler alert, the story ends happily ever after. Until Jacob dies. The father died. After they bury their father, Jacob's, Joseph's brothers, forgive my, I confused the names, Joseph's brothers are afraid that maybe now with dad out of the way, with dad gone, maybe now Joseph is going to have his revenge on us. And so they're afraid. And that's what brings us here to Genesis chapter 50. The Bible tells us in Genesis 50 verse 17 that when Joseph heard that his brothers felt this way, he wept. Now we don't know why he wept exactly. This is a good question, maybe in your small group at some point later on. It's kind of one of those fun questions because there's really not a right or wrong answer. But it's kind of fun, I find, you talk about stuff like this. It helps to color in the lines and put you into the story a little bit. Why did Joseph weep? I don't know. Maybe he wept because his brothers still didn't understand his heart to forgive. After all that he had done, they still didn't get it. Maybe Joseph wept because his family is just so dysfunctional and broken. He's like, this is really rotten. Maybe that's why he wept. We don't know, but it's what Joseph said to his brothers that we remember. And this brings us to Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. 
He says this, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Look at that. You intended evil. God intended good. Two sets of intentions in the same event. This really caught my eye. So here's his brothers. They have, they have a will. They have an agenda. They have intentions. And God also has a will. He has an agenda. God has intentions. Do you see that? And whose will is best? God's will is best. As in the case of Joseph's jealous brothers, sometimes our human will is flat-out evil. And sometimes, as Joseph experienced, we even become the victims of someone else's evil will. Yet in the end, after the dust settles, it's God's will that triumphs. And this is why the story of Joseph is so fascinating. Because we have these guys, and they're doing some really bad things to their younger brother. And they're causing a lot of pain in the process. I mean, it's, let's not minimize Joseph's struggle. Don't minimize it. I mean, it was hell they put their brother through. And they're causing all this pain in the process. Yet in the end, God slaps the ace down on the table and he wins the hand. Love that. Now, there's two ways to respond to this story. Either with fatalism or with faith. So the, the, the fatalism would tell you this, what's it matter? I mean, hey, if God's will is going to triumph in the end anyway, if at the end God gets whatever God wants, then why do I have to worry about what happens? I mean, just what does it matter? I would caution us against fatalism. That's not the greatest way to do it. Or I can respond to the story of Joseph and these kinds of events with the heart of faith. Faith. Faith that says, God's bigger than this. He knows what he's doing. And if I can keep my eyes open, I can see God at work in this, even though it's really ugly. And I can somehow extract gold out of this seemingly really rotten situation because I'm looking for the hand of God in it. I like how James Stewart said it, and honestly, I don't know who James Stewart is, but I found this quote on the internet, and I thought it was great. But he said it this way about faith and about, and about faith in difficult circumstances. He says, it's the spirit which gives life's difficulties as a God, which takes life's difficulties as a God-given opportunity and regards its troubles as a sacred trust and wears the thorns as a crown. I like that. I wear the thorns as a crown. See, I like that picture. Joseph sees the hand of God 
even through the evil actions of his brothers, and he takes the horrible things that they did, and he trusted that God is bigger, and God's going to do something with this, and he wore those thorns as a crown. It's as if Joseph says, hey, brothers, you see these thorns? You see these? You intended evil, but the God I worship is bigger than your evil actions, and I stand here today defiant of your attempts to ruin me and triumphant in the goodness of my God. Drop the mic, boom. That's, I love that. But this whole story begs a question, okay? A question that we're going to spend the next 12 weeks digging into and wrestling with. Some of you are going to be deeply bothered because this is going to raise questions for you that you've tried to ignore, and now they're going to be put right in your face. And, and some of you <clears throat> are going to discover that you've been walking down the wrong track all this time, and you're going to be faced with a big decision to change course. And some of you are going to get to know God in a way that you just never imagined possible. And, and others are going to wonder what the big deal is. You always have a few of those. What's happening? <laughs> the question that we're going to be answering in the next 12 weeks is this. Where is God working? And how can I join him in it? We're going to learn how to, how to see God at work so that we can join in with what he's doing, so that I can trade my carrot sticks for his hostess ho-ho. That's what I'm doing. I want to know where's God working so that I can join him, because what he's doing is the coolest thing. It's not what I'm doing. I've, I've given up on what I can do. That's not all that impressive. But boy, what God can do is absolutely impressive. You know, last week, Michael talked about his wild uncle out in California who owned that surf shack in the Baja, and then he rides mountain bikes in the Redwoods, and he skis the Alps, that guy. And hearing Michael talk about him Hearing Michael talk about his uncle made me want to get to know his uncle. Did you, were you kind of fascinated by this walking North Face ad, as Michael said? Like, I think, I'd love to meet that guy. But there's one thing I know about his uncle if I want to get to know his uncle. I've got to move with his uncle. If I want to get to know his uncle, i got to surf with his uncle. I'm going to have to ride my mountain bike with his uncle, because his uncle doesn't just sit in the comfy couch all day long. His uncle's on the move. He said that. You know, God is the same way. God is a mover. He's a mover. And there's no better way to get to know God than to move with him. You see, God is not someone to study, although we certainly study the word. But God is someone to experience. He's someone to know. And the only way to know him and experience God is to move with him. And like Michael's uncle, sometimes God shows up in our lives with crazy stuff. And he says, hey, you ready to roll? And I have a choice. Do I stay comfortable or do I move with the mover and get to know his heart? in a way that I never imagined possible. Jesus defined eternal life this way. In John 17, 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they might know you, 
the eternal Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is defined as not going to heaven, although I'm certainly looking forward to that someday, but eternal life is defined as knowing God. And this knowing means I know him by experience. You know, there's a difference between knowing by studying and knowing by experiencing. There's a difference between driver's ed and actually driving a car. Two different things. God says, I I want you to drive the car. I want you to experience me, to know me as we move together. This is eternal life, Jesus says. You could imagine asking Joseph, hey, Joe, how do you know that God is real? You know what his answer would be? He'd say, I was there. How do I know God's real? <laughs> I was there. I was the guy that got sold to this. I, I saw God at, in my slave master's house. Like, I, I saw him. He, he's the one that did the dream thing in the prison. Like I was there. I saw that. I saw his faithfulness and his provision through the whole thing. Like I was there. God desires the same thing for you. How do you know that God is real? You say, I was there. I've seen him provide. I've I've seen bills I didn't know how were going to get paid, and the Lord provided a way for them to be paid. I've seen seen his healing hand. I've been sick and seen him heal. I've, I've seen the way that he transforms a life. I've wit- I've, I was there, see? This is what God desires for each one of us, to know him by experience. But, of course, you understand that in order to do that, it requires some tough times. I mean, it kind of does, honestly. You don't do that in comfort. You, you, how else do you know that God's a provider? Well, you come to the end of the bills, You come to the end of the money, and you discover, oh, God provides. You don't know that when you've got a million bucks in the bank. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying it's not bad to have a million bucks in the bank. You hear me? I'm just saying we learn learn these things about God as we experience them, as we go with him. Now, it seems to me like there's two ways we can arrive at God's will. Some of us, like Joseph find ourselves in circumstances that are beyond our control. We're faced with uh, the choice to find God's will in that circumstance, as bad as it is. I think about like uh, somebody like Johnny Erickson Tata. Maybe you've heard of of her. She was a young lady a number of years ago, many years ago, who had a diving accident, and she broke her back. And a beautiful young lady, and she's still alive today. She's in her, I think, mid-70s. But, you know, God has used her story mightily over the decades. Like millions of people have been impacted by her story. Or I think about Nick Vujicic. You ever, oh man, you want some fun? YouTube, Nick Vujicic. This guy's incredible. Born with no arms and no legs. And he surfs. And, and, he, and he preaches. He travels the world. He's an evangelist, powerful, powerful evangelist. God has used this man. No arms, no legs. You know what I mean? Like, these people didn't choose um, the life that was given to them. It, it was handed to them. But they were able to find the will of the Lord in it. And it's powerful. 
And some of us might be like that. But honestly, for most of us, you're like me, kind of boring. Like nobody's going to make a YouTube video of my life. Many of the things that have happened in my life have happened because of me. They haven't happened to me. <laughs> because I've made choices, you know, and there they are. And, and so now I'm stuck with this thing like, okay, how do I find God's will, you know, in my week? See, how do I do that? Because I'm not living some dramatic story. I just have my family, I got my job, I got my thing, I got, I got go to Duncan, I, you know, whatever. Now, now, how do I find God's will this week in, in my life? That's where most of us are at. This study is about getting my life oriented around God, putting him at the center, just like Jesus did when he walked the earth. In, in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said that that's what he did. He said this, this is stunning. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. This is Jesus talking. I do nothing by myself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus lived a God-oriented life. He lived in constant response to what God the Father was doing, and then he tells you and me to do the same. That's all Jesus did. You understand Jesus didn't do anything original? Everything he did, he did in response to the Father. Wherever the Father was working, that's where Jesus went that day. That's what Jesus did. And he invites you and me to do the same. You know, each week in our study, in the next 12 weeks, we're going to memorize a scripture verse together. And I hope that each one of our groups take this seriously because it's really a good practice, a good discipline. But this week, week number one, our first scripture verse is John 15, verse 5. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's all say this out loud together so, so we can memorize it together. Ready? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When Jesus says that apart from him we can do nothing, he's not putting us down. He's simply stating a fact. Look at the illustration. He's the vine and we are the branches. So a branch apart from the vine is a dead stick connected to the vine. So apart from him, we can do nothing. So Jesus says the first step really for you and me in this is to be connected to him. Get my life connected to him. And Jesus is asking us to do the same thing that he did. He's not asking us to do anything he didn't do. Do you see that? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He stayed connected to the Father. Apart from the Father, Jesus did nothing. And now Jesus says to you and me, apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's inviting us into this intimate relationship to know him by experience. See? And then... Everything flows out of that. 
So this leads me to the first question that I think we all need to grapple with, and that's this. Do I want God's will or do I want God? Because they're different. You can seek God's will and miss God. But if you seek God, you're going to get his will. So I need to ask this question, do I want God's will or do I want God? You know, you know growing up, I, I, grew up in a, I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Our church, New River Church, is a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And it's a wonderful denomination of churches. I think it's one of the best, in fact. When I was a child growing up, though, in this Christian Missionary Alliance church, you know, one of the things that we spend super big on is missions. And I remember as a kid, the missionary coming into town. And my mom and dad, a lot of times, would host the missionary in our house. And I had to give up my bedroom because the missionary slept in my bedroom. And I had to go sleep on my, the floor of my sister's bedroom, you know, that kind of thing. And I loved those experiences. I loved hearing the stories the missionary talk about how God was working. And, I, and then, of course, my favorite at 9, 10 years old, the missionary always has to pull out a big snakeskin. Every good missionary has a snakeskin. <laughs> and they're pulling it out, and, oh, I'm just, ooh, I want a snake. I want it like that, you know? And I, the, the, the message, though, that was given is positive, but in my heart, I took it negatively. I took it in a dangerous way. But the message was really this. Don't waste your life. You better do something important for God, or you're going to waste your life. And, you know, if you're not a, if God hasn't called you to stay here, then you better go overseas as a missionary. Like, he better call you not to be a missionary. If you got to, that's your only reason why you can stay here. And, and, and the message driven home to me as a little kid was, was pretty clear. Like, here's Jesus, and here's missionaries. And then here's maybe pastors just under, just under, and then everybody else. That was the message that I heard as a kid. And so, well, hey, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, you know, if my life is going to count, if it's going to do something, I better be a missionary. Then that's, that's what I got to do. And, and I can tell you that that really has been destructive in my life. And, and it wasn't until a few years ago that I realized I've got to answer this question. Do I want God's will or do I want God himself? And, and I hear the Lord saying to me oftentimes when I start to get screwy, I hear, the, I hear the Lord say to me, hey, Doug, are you content to be the king's friend? And Because I, I love that. It's one of my favorite Bible passages is, is the Bible tells us about King David and his cabinet. And he has this, here's this guy, he's the general, and here's this guy, he's the treasurer, and here's this guy, he's in charge of the palace guard. Like, it has, it lists David's cabinet in his government. And then there's this one guy, Ahithophel, the Bible says, David's friend. And I just, I love that picture. Because they're in this high-powered cabinet meeting. You got all these high-powered guys. And, and I'm here because I'm the general, and I'm here because I'm in charge of this, and I'm here because I'm in charge of that, and I'm the treasurer, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing that. And hey, I hate Thofa, now why are you here? Well, um, Dave and I are getting coffee after this meeting, and I was just kind of early. I'm, I'm the king's friend. I got no other purpose for being there except to be the king's friend. And I, and I hear Jesus say that to me sometimes. He goes, you know, Doug... I got authors. Doug, I got world evangelists. Doug, I got missionaries. 
Hey, hey, Doug, I, I got healers. I, I got them. I don't have many friends. Are you content to be my friend? To live in utter obscurity and just pursue my heart? I say, okay, Lord, I'm content. <clears throat> you see, do I want God's will? Or do I want God? If you find God... You're going to find his will. But if you're just going to chase after his will, you'll probably miss him in the process. And so in this whole thing, that's what I love about this. This is experiencing God. It's discovering where God's at work and joining him in it. So it's not about you doing something and asking God to bless it. It's about you finding where God's working and just joining him in it. Because what he's doing is so much fun. So how do I do this? How do I experience God? During the course of our time in the next 12 weeks, we're going to learn the seven realities of experiencing God. And they illustrate it in your student book. You probably, I don't know if you have your book on you now, but it's actually in the back flap. It's right on the back, inside of the back flap of your student book is this little diagram. And it just a, lays out the seven realities of experiencing God. And let me just Describe them, and then, and then we'll finish up for today. But the, the first of the realities is this, that it begins and ends with God, like God is on the move. God is at work all around us. Jesus said, my father is always at his work, John chapter 5, verse 17. The issue is whether or not I can see God at work. It's not if God is working, it's can I see God working? And so we need to learn how to see God at work around us. That's part of what we're going to do in the next 12 weeks, okay? It starts there. He's always at work. This leads to the second part, that God wants us to have a relationship with himself. God is a relational God. Do you realize God can get anything done he needs to get done? Like, he doesn't need you to get it done. You, you know that, right? That you're actually not helping him? You know that? And so God's first priority, he, he just loves you, man. He wants you, he wants a relationship with you. Like, that's his desire. And he wants you to know him and him to know you. And so God is always at work, and he's always in pursuit of this intimate friendship with you and me. That's the, that's the second reality. Um, I love it. We see this in the story of Joseph. In Genesis uh, 39, verse 2, Joseph is a slave, and the Bible says that the Lord was with him, so he prospered. The Lord's with him. Uh, Joseph's in prison. The Bible tells us the Lord was with him. So Joseph has this friendship with God, even in the middle of all this yucky stuff. So this leads us to the third reality. The third reality is the invitation. God invites us to join him in what he's doing. See? So God's always at work. God wants a relationship with you. God invites you to join him in what he's doing. Isn't that cool? I think it's amazing that the God of the universe would set his eye on me. <laughs> what is it about you and me that catches God's eye? Does, do you not marvel at that? God, and the answer really is there's, there's really no good reason why we've caught the eye of the God of the universe, but we have. 
And he invites us into joining him in his work. I believe Joseph expressed that, you know. Joseph wasn't able to always see it, I don't think, through the mess of his situation. But when he came to that last part where he's told his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, I think Joseph could look back and say, ah, I can see the invitation of the Lord there. I can see this. This brings us to the fourth one. How does God speak? How does God invite you? He speaks to you. God speaks to you by his Holy Spirit. He speaks to us by his Bible, by the Bible. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through circumstances, through the church, to reveal himself, to reveal his purposes and his ways to you. And so we're going to learn. This is where it gets kind of tricky. We've got to learn how to identify God's voice. How do I see God at work? How is God speaking? And so that's, that's a part of this journey that we're going to go through together. Um, and then, so quick summary. So you see where we got? God's always at work. Always, always, always at work. And God loves you and wants a relationship with you. And God steps into your life and he says, hey, join me. I'm doing something fun over here. And he speaks to you. He shows you what he's doing. And this brings us to the fifth reality, which is a crisis, a crisis of belief. The question is, can God be trusted? Is God good? Does God know what he's doing? We're, we will all be faced with that question at one point in time or another. If it's your desire to follow God, if it's your desire to walk in his will, if it's your desire to experience him, then you are going to have this question at some point, multiple points in your life. Can I trust God? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because that doesn't make sense to me, Lord. It's a crisis of belief. I think we see Joseph really dealing with that. I mean, no doubt. There's not a single Bible verse that says it, but you got to think, as Joseph is going through slavery, imprisonment, all that he's going through, you got to think Joseph's wondering, can I trust you with this, God? And this brings us to the sixth reality. Once I settle the issue of trust, I can trust God. He knows what he's doing. Now I've got to make adjustments. This is where the rubber hits the road. Adjustments like my schedule, the way I spend my money, you know, uh, maybe I need to change, change something I'm studying in school. Maybe if you're a college student, you know, I got to change, change degrees, maybe. I mean, there's, there's adjustments that need to get made, and that can be difficult. I think that Joseph, we see Joseph having to adjust to God's plan in his life. When you come to Genesis 45, verse 1, when Joseph finally goes back and forth, and it took months, months before Joseph actually revealed who he was to his brothers. But finally, Genesis 45, verse 1, we're told this, Joseph could no longer control himself. I like that. I think Joseph reached a point, and I, I really do believe that part of what he was doing was wrestling do I forgive? Do I not forgive? Forgive, not forgive. And, and, then, and then he reaches this point in Genesis 45, verse 1. He makes the adjustment. Okay, I can trust you, God, with this. I'm going to forgive these jerk faces. 
and I'm going to trust you with it. And he wrestles, and he gives it over. And then number seven, the seventh reality is obeying and then experiencing God. And that's where Joseph's able to say, ah, I see it now. You intended it for evil. God intended it for good. I see the hand of God. I see God providing. I see God's faithfulness. I see God's power. I, you know, I see it. I see it. Couldn't see it before, but I see it now. You see how these seven realities work? The same is true for you and me if we're going to experience God. God is always at work around us. He is. And if we're going to experience him, he's inviting us to join him because he wants to have a relationship with you. He's more interested in you than he is in what's happening. Like, you're his priority. So he invites you to join him in what he's doing. And then we have this crisis and we have this adjustment that we've got to make and then we discover we know God in ways that we never dreamed possible. This is what we're going to do in the next 12 weeks as a church family. I think you're going to experience him and you're going to know his presence in ways that you just never dreamed were possible. And like Joseph, I think you're going to be able to say, I know God's real because I was there. I saw it. You ready? I want to close with a little story. It's, I, it's one of my favorites. It's, and this has been a while since I read this. But this actually is literature. It comes out of Alcoholics Anonymous literature. And uh, it's just one of my favorites. But I think it's a great way for us to close um, today, bringing us to this place that God has for us. He says, at first, it's his person's testimony. He says, at first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, uh, sort of like the president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. But later on, when I got to know my Lord, it seemed as though life was rather like a, a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that God was in the back helping me to pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places. But life has not been the same since. Life with my Lord, that is. God makes life exciting. When I had control... I, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts <laughs> up mountains and through rocky places and at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious, and I asked, where are you taking me? He laughed, and he didn't answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure, and when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, 
acceptance, and joy. They gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, God's and mine. And we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage. Too much weight. So I did to the people we met. And I found that in giving, I received. And our burden was still light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners, jump to clear high rocks, fly to shorten scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful constant companion, my Lord. And when I'm sure I just can't do anymore, he just smiles and says, pedal. <laughs> I love that story. It, it, it puts in a picture every one of our experiences. And this morning, you might be saying, you know, yeah, I'm, I got Jesus on the back of my bike, and we're having a good time. And just like this person, your life is predictable, straightforward, pretty much under your control, and boring. And Jesus is inviting you to make the switch. Hey, let me take the front seat. And you're faced with this decision. Will I do that? And I believe that if you do, my friend, you're in for, as this person experienced, quite an adventure. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.